Welcome to Teaching with the Body and Mind, a podcast about the importance of children moving for learning, with your hosts, Tom, Mike, Ross, and Joey. Hello, and welcome to Teaching with the Body and Mind. My name is Tom Bedard. I am just recently retired early childhood educator from the St. Paul Public Schools, where I worked in a, uh, a family education program. And I'm Mike Huber, and I teach at a cooperative preschool. And I'm Ross Thompson. I teach at the laboratory school at the University of Minnesota, where I lead a classroom of three, four, and five-year-olds while mentoring student teachers going through the program in the early childhood program, and in addition, a course instructor for the early childhood program. And I'm Joey Schoen. I teach at Dodge Nature Preschool in West St. Paul. We are a preschool attached to a nature center, so we have access to woods, ponds, all kinds of trails up there. So for this first episode, we are going to talk a little bit about me uh, and how I came to the uh, came to the realization <laughs> came to the realization of how important it is for children to move. In 2013 at the National Association for the Education of Young Children annual conference, I did a presentation on sand and water tables. Now, one of the people in that in that session uh, was a fellow early childhood teacher from the Twin Cities, Mike Huber. Who's right here. I'm right here, yeah. He's right here. We attended the uh, Men in Child Care Interest Forum and got to talking about doing a proposal. We both have a real strong interest in children moving in large muscle play in the in the classroom. In our discussions, we talked about how it was not only important for boys, but it was also important for girls. Yeah. yeah. Now, we, we, we submitted the proposal, but the pro- proposal was not accepted. Somehow. <laughs> uh, but th- our experience of meeting and talking um, was so valuable that we decided we were going to keep doing it. And, in fact, uh, we at some point we decided, why don't we get more perspectives? So we started inviting other people. Mm-hmm. Like Ross like myself. Mm-hmm. and Joey, that's right. Uh, so they would bring different perspectives to to our our discussions, and they turned out to be really quite quite good. And they continue to this day, and they've expanded. And hence, why we've decided to record our conversations and share them with others because we we constantly sit there and think, well, we should more people should come to these conversations, or we should get this more out. Yeah. An interesting participating as well. So we thought that this would broaden who could participate. Exactly. And it also gave us a chance to process what was happening in our classrooms and in our in our early childhood settings, which was for me particularly it was very valuable and I'm mm-hmm. I think oh, it was definitely your experiences off of you know the other lens of this happened to me and what would you have done? Yeah. And what do you think of this? Look at what this <laughs> Should kid, I have done that? <laughs> this, this what did this kid do? <laughs> Can you give me some insight here? Um so it, it turned out to be very valuable and we continue to this day meeting uh almost once a month yep. at a coffee house somewhere in the mm-hmm. Twin Cities. Yeah. One of the things I've been thinking about is uh, what really led to my interest in large muscle play, or it's often called big body play. Because as a child, I was not the most adventuresome kid. I spent a lot of time down at the Mississippi. I spent a lot of time at the park, at the at the park, where um, for the most part, we were unsupervised in our middle years. And I'm not sure if that really has to do with my um, love of 
big body play or large muscle play. Uh, but I can't help but think it doesn't. Mm-hmm. But Tom, don't you think so much of your approach to big body play, at least when I came to meet you, you were in a relatively not huge classroom with very little access to the outdoors. I always felt like your interest in the topic came out of helping the kids get their needs met, that through watching the kids, you, you realize what was not available to them and worked really hard to give them access. I mean, yeah. I don't, but that's near the end. I don't know what your early career was like with that. Well, thank you for asking. Oh, well, <laughs> please enlighten us. When I, when I took my first job as an early childhood teacher, um, I had a really small room. What we did have is we had a, a playground, a small playground, and even in the winter, I would be the one who would go out with the children. And we had, it was in the basement of a church, and we had a cafeteria there. And one of the favorite activities was just to ride big wheels uh-huh. and to run while I sat at the piano and corded, <laughs> just played chords. And the kids would run and ride bikes until they got tired. In the cafeteria. In the cafeteria, round and round and round and round. And there was one boy who could outlast me every day. <laughs> one boy. And I said to myself, this has got to be important, for uh-huh. especially for this child. Yeah. And we would take walks that would last for over an hour. Nobody else did that. Yeah. Um, but it just seemed like that was something I needed mm-hmm. as well as the kids. So yeah. in, in uh, 1988, I got hired by the St. Paul public schools as an infant teacher, as an infant toddler teacher. Uh, And there I had a bigger room, but my classes there were only two hours. And so even though there was a gym available and a playground available, I did not want to spend valuable time in transitions. So what I did is I, that was the first time I actually set up a large muscle area inside my classroom. And it wasn't big. Mm -hmm. It was a four by six gym mat. And you know what a four-by-six gym mat accommodates? A rocking boat. I had this wonderful aluminum climber that was, that was a triangle, and it had a bridge across. Oh, the A-frame climber. What, what do you call we it? We call it the A-frame climber. Air, that, yeah. So. But yeah. that would fit on that four-by-six, and there yeah. was all, it was always set up. So the kids, uh, when they needed to climb or rock or do something physical, there was a space in the classroom for that. And this was an infant-toddler room. It eventually became a birth-to-five room, where it was even more important that the kids be able to move when they needed to move. Mm -hmm. I remember one of the more fun things I set up was I tied string to balloons and hung them from the ceilings, and I made homemade balloon rackets. I think it was out of uh, clothes hangers and nylons or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, the kids would oh, like just... like tetherball, but with balloons. Yeah, they would just whack it, whack it, whack it. It was, yeah. it was great. Um, the only problem was the strings kept getting tangled. Yeah. So that's when I first started to actually provide it inside the classroom. Um, in 1999, I took a pre-K position at another site in the St. Paul schools. Now, this site was bigger. And so I could expand my large muscle area. And this was, this was the time when I really started to plan intentionally for the large muscle area in the classroom. So I could rotate it almost every other week. During this time, I worked with a woman named Mary Shidi Krishinka. Mm-hmm. She wrote uh, the book... Spirited Child, is that her? The Spirited Child. Mm-hmm. And... I'm going to read something she wrote about me. 
uh, I was up for an award in 2009, and I asked her for a reference. And so she was the parent educator. I was the early childhood teacher in the three to five room. And this is what she wrote. Uh, in Tom's classroom, movement and physical challenges are embedded in the space. Years after teaching with Tom, I still remember him coaxing a child to jump higher as he leapt from the top of the climber. Other adults gasped, while Tom chuckled, knowing full well this child was agile enough to take on the challenge. Hooting with glee, the child landed on his feet, letting everyone know that he fully agreed with Tom. He was capable. No kinesthetic learner gets in trouble in Tom's classroom. Mm -hmm. Movement is an integral part of the curriculum. I think that's so illuminative. Just one, for you to be recognized for the work and the appreciation you have for children, but then for the children themselves mm -hmm. to be finally someone sees me and even that very early stage, they may not have that just yet, but think how many times children have to be told, sit down, stop moving. Mm -hmm. No, you can't do that right now. And at school, we know that only continues, and you were able to say, no, let's, how much further, Jump can, higher. How much further can you go? And then that learning is really getting embedded deep inside of them. I also think that's something that has come up time and time again in our discussion group before this, right, that so many teachers that we end up working with or we visit a site and see do the opposite when a kid's jumping. Mm -hmm. It's, yeah. you know, not letting them do right. it. Or, Be careful. Or not not in here. Yeah, not in here. And I just mean, how it just shuts down, you know, when she described that child and that exuberance, you know, and just thinking about all those times we've seen it where that it could have been that same type of exuberance and instead... It was the child just, you know, getting one more. I'm sure the kid will still do it, still do it somewhere, but eventually mm -hmm. you wear down a child of like... Well, it's and it's sort of, I mean, I think it's Tom's experience. It's sort of the essence of saying like yes rather than no or finding a way yeah. to allow kids to do what they what they need to do. I mean, so it's like, I don't know, it, it's kind of subtly controversial because, again, 99% of teachers are going to say, not inside, wait till we get outside, which is something we talk about and, all the time. And for a variety of reasons. Right, for a variety of reasons. Some of them are probably valid. The yep. space may not be set up for it, but the idea that we're telling kids to wait to use their body is something that we also talk about all the time, that we're sort of right. telling them when they can and when they can't be in charge of themselves in that way. And so a simple thing like your A-frame over the mat I mean, when, you know, you've shown us the pictures. They're they're pretty simple setups, little balance beam and things like that. But it's more powerful than it may just yeah. look on the surface, I guess is all I mean to say. Mm -hmm. So, What I appreciated was that somebody else recognized it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and yep. she put words to it that I will carry to this day because she said it better than I yeah. can. Right. I mean, the smile on your face right now just is showing <laughs> how deeply you felt that as well. So... To go on, in yeah. 2010, I moved to yet another site in the St. Paul Public Schools. Now, this classroom was even bigger, the one you call small. <laughs> I said relatively. Yeah, yeah. We haven't talked about Mike's room yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Joey's definitely, I mean, in terms of our rooms, Joey's got like My the one end. perspective is skewed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, I've got the other end. So this time, I was again able to expand the large muscle area with a 5 by 12 foot gym mat. Um, and it was in this classroom I began to see and encourage big body play throughout other parts of the classroom. Mm -hmm. It wasn't going to be just in that large muscle area. It was now open to the whole room. 
and children had the choice to engage in large motor for over half the class period. What I saw was that children needed to move when their bodies told them they needed to move. Mm -hmm. So even during the story time or sitting at the table for a snack, it was okay for kids to move, to fidget, because they, their bodies needed to do that. I did put a lot of thought and effort into changing this large muscle area and to make sure there was uh, opportunities for large muscle play throughout the classroom. You know, I just want to say real quick, to me that reminds me of, I've heard, you know, countless people talk about the importance of having literacy elements in all parts of the room. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, in the block area, you have to have a right. you know, place to write right. signs right. for the Label building. Label all your shelves so people can see. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nope. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But, the, you know, the, but to me it's like, but physical development, you know, is also part of, and that's that whole thing. We have this bias towards people who are in education tend to be biased towards the written word and mm -hmm. not to movement, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you ask the coaches of, you know, the football team, what should a preschool room do? They'd probably say, <laughs> yeah. well, they should be moving in every room or every yeah. area of the room. But, yeah. but we don't they should add be that. wrestling. Yeah, yeah, they should be wrestling. <laughs> they tackling, that. tackling each other. Yeah, how can they tackle in the book area? How can they tackle? Well, we can talk about that one, yeah. too. I another can. episode. <laughs> another episode. I'll write it down. Tackling in the literacy side. Okay, sorry. So I started to put a lot of effort into, into actually figuring out what, what are the possibilities for movement in the classroom and for that area? Uh, in fact, when I would get a budget and get a chance to spend some money on things, the very first thing I would look for is large motor equipment. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean I always had to spend money. Um, sometimes I would borrow things. So, for instance, in our school, there was also community ed, and they had these aerobic blue Steps. Oh, the yeah. steps. Yeah. yeah, the steps. Yeah, and I said, I'm going to borrow those, and I brought them into the classroom, and they be basically became a loose part for the kids to to move however they wanted. Mm -hmm. In fact, oftentimes they would stack them as high as they could, and it would be a perch for for uh, from which they could launch themselves. And sometimes you don't even need to buy things. I I remember a, a big fort that I built out of cardboard mm -hmm. that the kids would crawl in and out. Mm -hmm. Now, there's one thing I've really taken from our discussion groups, and that's given the time and materials, children will create their own movement and physical challenges that address most, if not all, of their physical developmental needs. If you let them. If you let them, if and you if, let you provide, them. Yes. Yes. if you provide it. Yes. Thanks for listening to Teaching with the Body and Mind. We'll be back next week with another episode. Music is by Big Wheel Popcorn. <laughs>